You're listening to Successfully Funded, the podcast from Woodshed Agency. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! Hello, 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 crowdfunders. I am your guest host, Sean Neal, sitting in for Mr. Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel, who, uh, if you've been a regular listener to this podcast, knows is moving into his brand new house and uh, need to take the day off to be able to uh, move over the Wenzel Manor over to Wenzel Manor 2.0. Uh, I am Sean Neal, the co-founder of Woodshed Agency, sitting in. And uh, today we got an awesome, awesome conversation. I, I am so jazzed. For you guys to hear this, we have Roshan Thomas uh, from the startup Bike Tricks. These guys do these amazing um, cross-country e-bikes with extended range. And we just have not only a great conversation about crowdfunding, but but a great conversation about um, um, being a startup and, and being in a moment when the project you're working on kind of aligns with um, – you know, the big moments and news of the time, you know, this being the, the COVID shutdown and this almost insatiable appetite um, for e-bikes uh, along with the, uh, the stay-at-home orders that have gone on around the world and, and how that aligns with the company uh, launching these bikes in, in a Kickstarter. I'm sorry, in this case, Indiegogo in the middle, the middle of that. So we, great conversation. I can't wait for you guys to hear. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so what's been going on in our world, right? You know, so, uh, you know, like we said, regular listeners have been hearing about, uh, uh, Mr. Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel moving into the new house. Um, me and my world, you know, we got through the Thanksgiving holiday, you know, we were under a stay at home order here in Michigan. So just kind of hunkered up with a friend and, uh, did, did a low key Thanksgiving, uh, cooked some salmon and some, uh, some, uh, other, Healthy fare, as I'm on my, my big health kick these days. Uh, that's been one of the big things going on in my world over here. Um, you know, another another kind of um, interesting thing that uh, that I've experienced over this holiday weekend is, uh, you know, those of you that listen to my uh, my episodes and kind of follow me on social media know that I, I got this buddy, this buddy Andy, who um, uh, runs something called Detroit Bus Company. And he's the uh, the chief marketing officer for a big startup uh, that we use on a daily basis that kind of powers Woodshed Agency. And, um, you know, Andy's a fun hang. He, he's, you know, occasionally will get into mischief and do interesting things like uh, deciding to give thousands of e-scooters away to kids in Detroit or, uh, you know, more recently right, right in the middle of the shutdown when his bus company got, um, got turned off. You know, obviously you couldn't have buses. Uh, during a pandemic, uh, pivoting and, and doing hand sanitizer in that project. And um, he's got another cool little project that just went up uh, over the holiday we can like to talk about um, for the, the email uh, website, hey.com. It's called the Dumpster Fire 2020. And you can uh, email dumpsterfire at hey.com to find this. And uh, basically what it is is you send an email to that address and uh, – in the back lot of his bus company, he's constructed in a storage container a giant dumpster on fire uh, connected to a printer and a conveyor belt that's live streaming on Twitch 24-7 where your email gets printed off, captured by three cameras, rolls up the conveyor belt, and just uh, eviscerates itself in the in the fire. You know, kind of this 
this really nice uh, cathartic experience of kind of letting go the the negative energy and the negative thoughts over you know this this absolute you know garbage fire of a year that's been 2020 and um you know it's been up and running you know for about 10 days now and um you know emailing it and doing the process is, is one sort of catharsis going and seeing it live in action is a whole other because it's this crazy you know in the middle of winter outside you know open flame that's, that's just kind of mesmerizing but uh you know an interesting social thing is it, it kind of started with jokes you know it, like you know the top email that gets sent in is the the dog meme in the fire that says that's fine um, as you can imagine, the, the second most frequent emails have to do with uh, with uh, old, old, old President Trump, um, that whole that whole debacle. And um, but you know what's really kind of come to light is after you kind of get past the jokey nature of it, people have been sending in really really deep thoughts and and really kind of using the more um you know intellectual experience side of this of of you know writing out that thing that you would never say out loud or never send to that that horrible boss or that that jilted you know that that ex-girlfriend that did you wrong or or you know speaking out loud the thing you always wanted to say to your parents but never could and you put it in this email and it you watch it go up and burn itself in the fire, and it's kind of like a a psychological release. And we've seen, um, you know, everything from, you know, someone really venting about, you know, being done wrong and, and misled by, by a boss and a company in a job experience and getting laid off during COVID and all the, the hardships that have come along with unemployment in this uncertain time. And, and um Really, a really touching um, letter to parents about a kid that had just come out, and uh, and his parents have disowned him, and you know, kind of saying what was maybe left unsaid in that face to face interaction with the parents, and then um, you know, kind of an affirmation that despite maybe losing this relationship and losing this connection um, with his family, he's. He's feeling liberated and free by finally being able to be himself and and and, and be true to his, you know, to his identity and, and and living an honest and open life. And it's sad that his parents can't come along for that ride. But giddy up, here we go. And and there was a, a wedding proposition <laughs> just done in the dumpster fire, and that was perplexing because, you know, we don't know if that's actually proposing or or maybe that was a the proposal that was denied, and he's you know, letting loose on it. And you know, it's just this, this endless sea of, of really deeply personal messages and, and kind of saying the unsaid and, and speaking the thing that's impolite to speak in, in public or would maybe, you know, maybe cause you, you harm or, or irreparably damage a relationship. Uh, being able to find a way to voice it and, and see it go out into the world and then immediately <laughs> be engulfed in flames forever. Uh, it's just just a nice catharsis. I think that's a really cool way um, to to end so end this this hellish year. So uh, dumpster fire at uh, at at hey dot com uh, the, the dumpster fire twenty twenty. If you Google it, you will find it. It, it is everywhere. And uh, send in that email and get a load off your chest. You know, 
So uh, what else is happening? The health journey continues. I am down about 40 pounds and probably plus about another 20 pounds of muscle as I'm entering my last, today's actually my last day of my eight-week barbell course. And I'm about to retest and see how much stronger I got and how much more I can lift and how much more flexible I become over this journey. And I'm going to start another eight-week cycle uh, next week. So I'm in. I'm doing it. I guess I'm a... I'm a weightlifter now. I'm going to, you know, maybe what's next? Competing in an amateur circuit once we can do that again? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I guess, you know, drummer, videographer, storyteller, um, strategist of the crowdfunding, and guy who lifts heavy things over his head. That is my, <laughs> my, my resume these days. So, yeah. So, anyway, hope everyone is having a really, really nice end to, to 2020 here. And if you're not... Uh, send that email and let it let it uh, burn on up, or, or let something heavy over your head, or take that doggy for a walk, or you know enjoy enjoy what's left of this <laughs> this trash fire of a year. So, if you're a project creator, if you're a crowdfunder, and you're thinking about bringing a new idea to life, before you do that, go over to www.woodshed.agency and sign up to have a quick 20-minute phone consultation with either myself, Sean Neal, or my co-founder, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. And uh, show us your project. Show us your idea. Let us, uh, let us give you our best tips. Let's, let's unload our brain and, and download it to you guys and uh, help, you, help you become successfully funded. Or, or if you're a project creator with a campaign already up and you're, you're struggling and it's not quite doing what you hoped it would do and you, you want to know, what can I do to help this? Or what can I do to maybe rethink this and relaunch it or restart it? Same thing. Go over to woodshed.agency, sign up for that 20-minute consultation, get on the phone with us, and uh, let's see what we can do to, to help you either rethink this thing or, or you know, pull that one or two steps to get you over the edge and get you successfully funded. So, so great. So without further ado, let's get over to that interview. Let's go talk to Roshan Thomas on the Bytrix Juggernaut HD Duo. All right, the red light is blinking. I'm sitting here with Roshan Thomas, founder of Bytrix Juggernaut HD Duo, which is killing an Indiegogo. How's it going? Uh, it's going really good. Uh, thanks for having me over here. Yeah, no uh, problem. So, so we, we we usually start by getting a little audio level, a uh, little little checky check by asking you what you had for breakfast today. I actually don't eat breakfast, so uh, well, I, it's that's not right. Everybody eats breakfast, but uh, I eat it at a later point in the day. So my man, that's the same thing for me. You know, like uh, every time we ask that question, someone gives me like this awesome answer. I'm like, that sounds great around eleven when I'm gonna do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I usually have it on like just past noon or something. Yeah, yeah. I had a banana to start with, and then I'm moving on. Right. So, yeah. cool, cool. So let's let's uh, let's get into this. Um, you're, you're from Saskatoon, and uh, we, we talked about a, a common friend, a wonderful musician. She goes by Valerie Ray now, um, known used to be known as Valhalla uh, of Saskatoon. Um, you know, I, I have been out to the prairie in my earlier days as a touring musician in Canada. And um, tell me about the, the, you know, the entrepreneur space there. Tell me about what, what it's like in Saskatoon to, to start a company. 
Yeah, you know, when I was, uh, I, I just happened to be here because I did my undergrad here uh, several years ago at the University of Saskatchewan, uh, got my engineering degree, and then I did work in other bigger cities like uh, like Waterloo, Ontario, and Toronto, oh. and Calgary, and so on. Uh, well. But then I decided that I wanted to stay in the prairies because, uh, you know, it, it gets really cold here, but people are really warm here. You know, they're, yeah. they're super nice here, and uh, and it's not, the city's not very big, uh, so I can get from one end of the city to the other end of the city in 20 minutes kind of thing you know so so that's good and then when i started my e-bike company i thought hey you know what saskatchewan is probably the worst place to sell electric bikes and if you sell it here you can probably sell it anywhere you know and that right. was uh, the hypothesis and uh, basically we just stuck around uh, there's a lot of startups up and coming here uh, i'm not sure if you've heard of uh, skip the dishes for example uh, uh they're like a, a a company that was acquired by just eats for uh, for several million dollars like three four hundred million dollars or something uh, and they're uh, they're a Saskatchewan company. They started here in Saskatoon and uh, okay. have offices in Winnipeg and so on. So the tech scene is is pretty is growing rapidly here. Like uh, previously, over like past twenty years ago, if you ask, Saskatchewan was primarily like a agriculture uh, province, but uh, uh, that's changing. Uh, there's lots of lots more tech companies coming out of uh, Saskatchewan. A uh, lot more tech entrepreneurs coming out of Saskatchewan. So uh, yeah, we're trying to make a difference here. And you know in. And one thing I know about you know Canada in general, having having spent a significant amount of time there, but but the prairie is it's all about the outdoor life, you know. Yes. Tell, yeah. tell me about how that that fused with the tech background um, led you to to build these e bikes. Yeah, you know the the thing about the prairies here is that uh, you know if you're if you're in Alberta, you go and hike. You know, you go hiking up the Rocky Mountains. Uh, but here in Saskatchewan, uh, you know, down south we have some trails and stuff uh, in the Cypress Hills. But but most uh, part of Saskatchewan is fairly flat. But we have a lot of little uh, you know uh, lakes around. We have a great river that goes through, uh, which means that the cities around these uh, these lakes and uh, lakes and uh, and rivers have built a lot of nice trail system alongside them. So so if you come in the winter, uh, you know, snowshoeing, uh, skiing, or you know, cross country skiing, uh, snow and some of very popular activities and in the in the in the summer lots of people are outside because our summer is very short uh, right. so we only have like you know four to five months of enjoyable summer the rest of it is kind of like you know fall or gets cold <laughs> yeah. uh, so so uh, people are, spend a lot of time outdoors because that's the the little opportunity we get to do that so uh, yeah that's how uh, you know biking is really popular here uh, you know some bike shops here in town represent big brands like Kona and so on. And, and they've got several awards for being the top seller in North America for, for e-bikes wow. or, or bikes, sorry, in general. And, and that's surprising because like our population in the city here is like 300,000 people. And right. uh, these guys are selling more bikes than, uh, than their uh, counterparts in Santa Barbara. or, or Yeah. We're, we're going to, we're going to put a pin in that because we're going to talk about the bike community here in Detroit in a little bit, but uh, that, that, that surprises me. So, all right, so let's get right to the meat of this. Um, the Bitrix, it's an e-bike. Tell me, tell me about the project. Tell me about the, the product and, and what it's all about. Yeah, so, so Bitrix as a company was started about seven years ago. Uh, I started it uh, in my basement, in my house, actually. I had bikes all over the place. And uh, uh, the inspiration came from, uh, you know, I used to work on motorcycles before. And uh, one time I was super frustrated with a carburetor of my 78 uh, CB750. And I thought, like, man, this carburetor sucks. I think this makes it electric, you know. And then, 
And then that, that uh, led me to find out that electric motorcycle was a really hard challenge because of uh, uh, restrictions on the law and also parts were very, very expensive. So I toned that ambition down a little bit and thought I should build an electric bicycle. And uh, uh, and then one, I had this in the, in the back of my mind and I used to spend a lot of time in Europe at the time and I was introduced to e-bikes there. And I thought like, man, this is like awesome. So I came back and ordered a bunch of parts, built some e-bikes. And uh, just started riding them around town. And uh, anybody who saw it, they were intrigued and they wanted to buy it. So they yeah. started selling it and that's how the company was formed. And uh, this particular crowdfunding campaign uh, for the Juggernaut Duo, uh, the big thing with the Duo, uh, the Juggernaut Duo is the Duo. Duo means uh, you know dual. And uh, the key thing with this whole line of bikes is that it supports two batteries working in tandem. Uh, so essentially, there's a battery hidden inside the frame and you can get a range extender that sits on top of the frame. So together, they switch back and forth and you're able to get ranges, you know, upwards of like 100, 150 miles on a charge. Uh, but we don't know if people wanted that kind of range. And that's why the crowdfunding campaign to see if there right. is an interest project and uh, if you can go, if it's worthwhile going and pursuing that line of product. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, as we're speaking today on Black Friday in the States, you know, uh, you're at 800,000 US dollars. So, yeah. There's interest. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like uh, the the perception has been good. You know the and the thing about bike tricks is that we really obsess over customer you know happiness, right? So, right. Uh, and because we do that, out of the eight hundred thousand, a lot of the customers are already past bike tricks customers. They they already have some of our bikes. Sure. And, yeah. And uh, you know we have a returning customer rate of like thirty to forty percent, which means that. Four and ten bikes are sold to people who already have one of our bikes, you know. And, put, uh, put a uh, pin in that because that's going to be a critical piece of data for your continued success in crowdfunding and equity crowdfunding. So, exactly, a, 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 agency yeah. brains like, wait, what? Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's come back to that later. All right. Um, so let's before we get too much into the entrepreneurial side, let's unpack the culture of e-bikes and in particular. Your spin on the e-bike, which is this this what I call like the fat tire off road. So what? Yeah. What kind of rider is going to want to uh, uh, get one of your products? Okay, so uh, the big thing with uh, with bikes in general is this fat tire. Uh, you know, became popular about five to six years ago. Uh, really, about about eight years ago, there were only a couple of brands that did fat tire bikes, and then the whole bike industry thought like, oh, this is a fad. You know, people are going to ride it. Why would they need a fat tire? It's so hard to pedal. It, it'll come and it'll go. But turns out that uh, even when you're riding on, on beach sand or in like really slushy terrain or here in, uh, in a bunch of snow, these fat tires make a huge difference when you're riding. Uh, it's, it's a difference between you can ride or not ride, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, but the gigantic problem with fat tires is that they get really tiring because you, you have to put a lot of pressure to them. You're working. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why when I was introduced to e-bikes in Europe, in Europe, you know, fat tires weren't that popular when I, when I was there in, in, uh, in Nijmegen, in the Netherlands. Uh, they were all really commuter tires because everybody commuted to work and they used their bikes more than cars. But then I thought, like, man, in, in North America, it'd be so much better if you had these fat tires with uh, with a motor on it, because then it's much like a motorcycle, and you can also ride like wherever you want, and it takes away that pain point of uh, oh, this fat tire is hard to pedal, you know. And yeah. so that's why 2014, Bike Tricks's first bike was a fat tire 750 watt mid drive motorbike, uh, and it's amazing that that bike that we sold in 2014 
is still like you know if you look at the specs of that bike it's still you know outclass uh, and outspecs most of the bikes on the market today uh, so totally. uh, yeah so that's why we've really taken into this uh, fat bike market the people who are Oops, I lost you. Uh, sorry, oh. uh, lost you. Yeah, so yeah, let's so let's uh, let Brandon. That's going to be an edit there. So well, let's let's open up on your thought of where you were talking about the specs of your old bike, of your original bike. Yeah. So yeah, yeah so uh, Bikeflix launched our, our first bike was a uh, fat tire bike that we launched uh, with a with a seven fifty watt powerful motor back in twenty fourteen. Okay, and uh, let, let, before we go too far, because this is a podcast and an audio medium, um, yeah. let let's let's visually lay out the difference between the, what the fat tire is um, and, and a t- typical bike. Give, give people the yeah, visual. So a typical bike tire. Uh, so if you look at uh, you know commuters who ride like road bikes, for example, those tires are about an inch wide, you know, uh, an inch wide or maybe even thinner. Um, and then if you look at mountain bike tires, they're about two inches, two and a half inches wide. Uh, and then now they have a mountain bike tire that you can get at three inches wide, which is called a, a plus size tire. And then you get fat tires, which are like 3.8, four inch, four and a half, and they go up to five inches wide. Uh, so these five inches, you can imagine the tire being like, you know, about that wide. Uh, yeah. So it's pretty much like a like a little motorcycle tire. Kind of yeah. So the, I think the visual I keep giving people when I'm describing these is, you know, imagine like a normal SUV or, or a crossover vehicle that has like a pretty standard tire versus like a Jeep Renegade with one of those big extended knobby off-road tires, right? This is right. like the Jeep Renegade of bike tires here. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. It's like the fattest. Uh, it's like it, basically like five inches is like two mountain bike tires attached together. You know, it's like exactly a, a regular bike. And yeah. and you know, other than traction, you know, and, and the ability to move on different surfaces, you know, something I've learned is, is I've kind of adopted riding bikes during the pandemic on my health journey. I'm a bigger dude. You know, I'm six yeah. foot three. My weight is classified, but let's just think linebacker territory here, people. And <laughs> yeah. um, you know. Comfort, a normal city riding on one of these street bikes or mountain bikes is not that awesome when you're a bigger guy on a two-inch tire or a one-inch tire. When you get to these fat tires, you know, my experience is, yes, you're working harder to keep the bike moving because you're moving more rubber and more mass. But the the comfort level on the body, the impact on the body is is greatly reduced and it feels you know frankly it feels stable to me it feels like i'm not going to <laughs> lose this thing um but i also feel like I, I oh if i'm running across construction or some different terrain i, I got this well yeah and the, and the primary reason you feel that is because these fat tires run at a much lower pressure than uh, than the thin mountain bike tire thin road tires all the mountain bike tires so uh you know these road tires People pump them up to like 100 pounds of pressure, uh, whereas these fat tires are rated to run from 5 to 30. 30 at 30 pounds of pressure, the tire looks like it's going to blow up, you know? So, right. so you're, you're riding it mostly around like 12. In the winter here, we're riding it at like 8, eight pounds of pressure. And then like in the, in the summer, we're riding at like 20 pounds of pressure top. So, so what happens is when you roll over imperfections on the road or trail, the tire kind of like forms to that shape. Yeah, it, it exactly. Yeah, so... So let's let let's unpack this a little bit more and 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 cover like why the e technology is so innovative. 
And, you know, my experience with, with my, I, I have a, um, a, a traditional fat tire pedal bike and okay. I have it for the two reasons, the comfort and, you know, like I mentioned, I'm on a health journey doing CrossFit and weightlifting and I'm biking to the gym and I want the extra work to burn the extra calories and, and work on those calves. Right. Yeah. But it's work. So talk about with the electric assist motor, what that changes in the ball game here. Yeah. So, you know, the thing about uh, workout is that a lot of people have this misconception that when you work out, you got to go all in or all out. And uh, the trouble with doing that is that to stay motivated and focused in the all in mode is almost impossible for most 100%. people. Yeah. Because so it could be like one day you could be like, oh, you know, I don't feel like doing it today. Or it could be like, oh, it's raining outside. Oh, the wind is crazy today. What You could come up with a shitload of things. Totally. Related to CrossFit, you know, one, one of the yeah. things you do CrossFit that we do these Metcons where you're kind of working at your, your peak. And those are capped at maximum, like 18 minutes is, is where exactly. you can work the maximum before your body's like, well, now – we, no more. <laughs> Not going to do exactly. it. Yeah. And the thing is, like, you know, most people, like, when they start CrossFit, for example, like this, you, know, you might you might go, like, okay, 18 minutes. I'm going to go today, today. But after, like, about four or five days, you feel like, oh, oh yeah. no, maybe I should take a break. <laughs> rest <laughs> you know? day. Rest yeah. day. Yeah. L- rest low day. impact. That's when we row. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, this is working. We're good. And, yeah. and, and you know what? <laughs> This exact same thing happens to people who take up bicycling. You know, they take up cycling and they're like, I'm going to give it every day. I'm going to get the most expensive fat tire bike or regular bike or whatever. And then I'm going to go, they go for a week, a week and a half, maybe. And then they're like, oh, you know, this is like, maybe I should just take the bus today or the car today or whatever, right? (laughs) Uh, So so what happens is with this electric assist, there's a couple of things. One is there is an assist. So it's like running on a treadmill versus running outdoors. Running on a treadmill, we all know, is much easier than running outdoors because the treadmill assists you. Uh, so similarly, you know, riding an e-bike is easier than a traditional bike if you want it to be. So you can set it to be, uh, you know, easier. So when you pedal, the motor complements you. So it, it helps. Uh, second thing is, it is a lot of fun. Like it's really like yes. kind of fun. You know, like yeah. you, you get on there and you ride this thing and you're like, man, I just rode like. 40 kilometers or, or like, you know, 30 miles. And I've never ridden 30 miles ever on a bike in one go, uh, ever, you know, it, <laughs> unless it, I was like, yes. <laughs> now I, I've been, you know, bikes are at a premium and hard to find during the pandemic here in Michigan, yeah. Detroit. So that aside, you know, what I discovered this summer, and then of course, you know, we were involved in a scooter Palooza project with the advent of all the, you know, the lift scooters and, you know, they, they're all over the city now. Um, this electric assist transportation, I know as soon as we can start accumulating bikes again and we get past the winter, is going to be a huge part of my spring and summer. You know, I, I, I can't imagine once I get an e-bike driving all the short trips anymore. Like that's going to yeah, be yeah. A, an integrated getting out in the world pedaling. And, and, and the fact is in North America, as much as I hate saying this, uh, like eight, there was a stat that came out like 80% or 83% or something of, of all commuting cars have one person in it, you know? Yeah. And, and which means that for all those commutes, 
we really don't need a car. You know, no. like, uh, uh, and, and if you can use this, this bike, you can get out on the trails. Now with an e-bike, you know, that goes like a hundred mile range. You don't have to go with the shortest path to work. You can take the scenic route. 100%. That's where I think, you know, when we're talking specifically about your product, the Juggernaut Duo, yeah. that's where I think that your, your assumption was correct that we want range, right? Because right. especially like, you know, in Detroit, you know, we're, we're a really interesting case because we are an urban environment. You know, we're, we're, we're a major city, um, but we have a landmass that you could fit um, New York, Chicago, and San Francisco within the borders of Detroit. Right. So, and, you know, we have a vibrant downtown area, but, the you know, much like metropolitan New York, we have pockets in these little neighborhoods around the, the circle of the downtown that are really great to get to. And, you know, we have young people, you know, moving to the city, buying houses in kind of these these neighborhoods that are a little bit further away from city mass, but they want to use these electric, um, you know, maybe not own a car living in the city or, or right. not rely on your car so much. And the scooters kind of got us a little bit there. You know, you would, you would see center mass in the city where the, the scooters would live and you, you would get maybe eight miles away, which right. in any other city would mean you're out of the city or in the burbs now, but in Detroit, much, yeah. We yeah. are in Detroit still, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you get about eight miles away from City Mass, and that's when you start seeing the scooters going away. And right. now you still have people. Okay, if I want to go downtown and I live in you know Southwest, I gotta get in my car. And you look at the e-bike, and during COVID, it is like people that could get their hands on e-bikes in Detroit. It was a revolution. You were seeing people going from the suburbs. I, I live in a town called Ferndale that's just to the northern border of Detroit. And, you know, on a regular basis, right down Woodward where I live, it is like a parade of e-bikes of people either that live in the city coming up and, and spending time in the suburb or yeah. going downtown. And, you know, that's, you know, round trip. That could be in Detroit, like a 30, 45-mile process. And right. with what's on the market right now, unless you have a charging station or an extra battery or something you're, you're lugging around, that's the end of your e-bike journey. I look at the juggernaut and we're sorted. And and I don't if I forget to charge it tonight, I can still do my ride tomorrow. I'm good to go. So this I think this concept that you're on is really gonna be the technological bridge to fully adopting this I'm only using my car when I'm when I need a car lifestyle. Right. Which which is now we're gonna put our marketer and crowdfunding hat back on. You know, project creators out there, hear my words there are three things that if you focus your company on gives you the opportunity to have magic in crowdfunding because the opportunity to be that unicorn. Number one is you have to have a great idea, you know, and that's, that's always been, you know, the product has to be desirable. It's always been a thing. Number two is as a backer, I have to look at your presentation, your team, your founder, and I have to have confidence that you're going to be able to deliver what you say. And that's all about the story you lay out and, you know, this is not your first rodeo with a bike, you know, so you already have a track record. And, and, and again, founders, something that we talked about earlier in this is, Hey, I had my prototypes. I'm writing around everybody asking about them. That's, that's your indication as a founder. This is a desirable product because I built my prototype and everyone wants it, you know? Right. So that's the two things. Here's, here is 2020. Um, 
if you're not doing this now, forget about it. If you're not thinking about how your product addresses the coming green economy, sustainability, and sensitivities people have to stopping practices like, hey, I have my car, I drive around the corner to Kroger, load it up with my groceries and come home. Mark my words, these lifestyles are changing. They're changing in a big way. And the target demographic of crowdfunding, climate change and green technology, if it's not their first concern, the existential crisis when they wake up in the morning, it's a close number two. And those are the three things that you have to have in complete balance to have the opportunity to have magic. And when I look at this bike, it's not only does it check those marks, but you're solving a major problem that this growing community of e-bikers is having and no one else is doing what you're doing right now. So that's, that's the ingredients for magic that we're seeing with this campaign here. Well, for, for me, you know, personally, like I ride e-bikes all year round here in the winter, summer, whatever. I ride e-bikes. Right. And, and this range anxiety is a real thing. You know, like Huge. It's, uh, it's, it's in cars, it's in, uh, you know, uh, bikes, it's in motorcycles, whatever yeah. is electric. There's always this range anxiety because you can't just go to a gas station and fill it up. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. takes, it takes time to charge. You need to plug it in somewhere and you got to like wait like at least like 45 minutes to an hour. A hundred percent. You know, we, we have a, we have a equity client, um, that, that we do, we do a lot of social, we do a lot of their, their backend and lead generation, but they're in the automotive industry, but their, their entire startup and, and several different products are, are based around range anxiety. They, they do, they do a testing package for all the automotive developers to, um, really dial in, you know, Hey, if I change, from this wheel to this wheel, when I'm developing my next Volkswagen, you know, how does that affect the battery range of XYZ, right? right? And they're also coming out with a, a consumer product for the phone that is a plug into Google Maps that, hey, all right, I've got my Tesla and I want to go to from point A to point B. What's the best route that's going to give me the best battery performance? And those kind of things are going to be integrated all the way down to levels like your e-bike, you know, and that... That's what I'm talking about. If you, again, let me let me drill this down again. Project creators, if you're not thinking about sustainability, you know, one more tangent on that. So I'm a Levi's freak. Like I only wear Levi's. Again, big guy, the 541. It's the pants that fits. It doesn't look like a circus tent, right? <laughs> um, you know, look at Levi's Black Friday now. Everything is about how much water they're using in reducing in their creative process of building the denim, right? Um, this is what customers care about. So this leads me to the next thing. Let's talk about COVID and the lockdowns and what happened this summer with the bike market and how that's affected you. Yeah, you know, uh, it was surely a uh, the most different year out, out of all yes. of our uh, years in existence uh when we when i when i well you know things were going normal in january february and we were at a trade show we sold a bunch of bikes and uh in toronto or uh, in edmonton and stuff and then at one of the trade shows they shut it down the day it opened you know it opened up and they said sorry guys we're canceling this show this COVID yeah. thing is happening and go home and we, we thought like what the hell are they talking about? You know, like right. what? What? It's not a big deal. It might be just a flu or something. You know, like every because nobody really had any idea. You know, and and we were all like, 
yeah, this must be just a flu. And oh, who knows? Maybe we'll just open up next month, you know? Yeah. And then, and then things started getting to look a lot more brim uh, because they started, uh, everything was shutting down, all these trade shows, you know, a lot of people getting laid off and then a lot of businesses closing and a lot of lockdowns happening. And then in, in March, uh, we were in the situation where we're like, man, maybe we won't be able to sell any of these bikes because like... Oh, <laughs> Little did you know. <laughs> well, exactly, right? We were like, in March, we thought like, and this is not just us. This is like even big companies like yeah, Tech and, everybody. and all these guys. Everybody's thinking the same thing, right? They're like, well, all of our bulk of the bikes are supposed to arrive in April, April, May timeframe, because that's the peak of the season. But maybe we should tone it down a bit because nope. this year might be a... Might be right off, you know. So Spoiler us, alert. Yeah, so, so, so all of us ended up like calling our suppliers and stuff and saying, "Hey, you know what? Hold off. You know, don't uh, don't ship all the bikes. Maybe reduce it if you can. If you haven't built them, don't build them yet because we don't know what's going on. You know, yeah. we, we don't know what's going to happen. And then sales did not drop. You know, in fact, because of people sitting at home, our website visits just doubled overnight. You know, like yeah. I think from. From like end of March to like beginning of April, our, our organic visits to our website just doubled, and our Google ads were performing insanely better than it ever did before. Like we were getting like you know th- thirty-one to forty x ROAS, which is like unheard of. You know this is this is saying like uh, that's a- that's make up numbers. That's fantasy no. numbers. So, okay, so, you know, crowdfunders again. <laughs> if you reach eight or nine return on investment, you are killing it. I do not want you to leave this podcast thinking that, oh yeah, 30 times on my ad. No, that's <laughs> that's bananas. How are you achieving that? Bananas. It was so crazy that I thought, okay, you know what? Maybe this is a one-off. And yeah. maybe it's only last week. We we sustained that 30x ROAS for like two months to a point where Google contacted us asking us, what the hell are you guys yeah. doing? I'm like, oh, for sure. Sirens are going <laughs> off. They're like, hey. This bike company is taking our money. What's happening? What are they doing? Are these, yeah. And, and the crazy part with Google ads is that I think when you run these ads, you'll see that, you know, one day you get a bunch of sales and the next day you yeah. get nothing. It just keeps like spiking, right? So I used to always tell the Google guys on the phone that, uh, hey man, you know, they they, they got one of these uh, specialists to, to to work with us. And and I was like, chatting with them, I was like, hey man, you know, is this Google like throttling our, our performance? Because it looks like yeah. it's on the upward trajectory and then bam, you just like, oh. kill and then it goes sure. up and bam. <laughs> yeah, they're doing that. <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, oh, no, no, no. We don't do any of that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, way, oh, no, no, no. Not us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so either way, we were getting like 30x ROAS, and, and we don't know what the hell to make of it. No. So, so we just started saying, call it back, call back all of our suppliers and said, hey, no hold on those. Keep yeah. shipping them. You know, we'll how how many more can you make? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. so for, again, so, so for the listening audience, if you didn't experience this, what we're talking about is, you know, right, right around mid-March, we shut down in Michigan and we shut down hard. No gyms, no, you know, stay-at-home order. And people like me who have been, you know, trying to engage in an active lifestyle, I think everybody has some little bit of activity in their, their minds. Like, oh, great. What do we do now? Well, let's go biking. It's not global warming. It's not... It's, March feels like summer here in Detroit. Let's get out on the bikes. And every bike manufacturer, every bike shop on the planet had the exact same prediction on the market. It was like, oh, we're not going to be able to sell anything. We're closed. We can't sell anything. Hold off. And then all of a sudden, there's this giant demand for bikes. 
coupled with uh, everyone that had their bike that they bought last time they wanted to lose weight sitting in the garage for five years, it doesn't work. Oh, let me go get that repaired and tuned up so I can go ride. And to this day, there's this bike store around the corner from me that I just adore. They've been awesome for me. Um, Not only do they not have a single bike to sell of any kind, but their entire store is stocked with repairs. So you look, oh, there's tons of bikes in the window. They must have tons of bikes. No, they're all customer bikes looking to get tuned (laughs) up so we can ride. And I literally, like, I found two bikes. I found a mountain bike that's way too small for me that I could start with and then realized, oh, this ain't going to work. And they called me up and they said, Sean, get over here now. We have a really garbage fat tire bike here that you're going to hate, but it's the best thing you're going to get. <laughs> come, <laughs> come get it. Some customer just dropped it off to sell it. And, you know, that's all I could get. And, and everybody, and little piece by piece, oh, here's a bigger, seats just came in, bigger seat. Get it here in 10 minutes or they're all gone. Yeah. It's been... I think a bananas revolution in bike demand. Well, it's also been, now, you did bring up an important point. What we noticed also is that, you know, generally we sell bikes that are like for people that are around the five, five to five, nine height, which is yeah. like, that's like the stat, you know, like the average height uh, in North America for, yeah. for, for bike sales. But this year, everybody wanted the extra large, yeah. Everybody wanted the large, the extra, extra large, all these sizes, because I, I, I still don't know why, but my oh. hypothesis is it's all these people that, you know, wanted something to do that they hadn't ridden bike before or the, their current bike doesn't work and they wanted to get I, a new bike and bam. They just I'm your case bike. study. I, I'm tall and bulky, right? Yeah. You know, 6'3", p- pedaling a bike that are of normal size is not that fun when you're when the yeah. bike isn't proportional to you right it's not that fun on the knees you know the ergonomics of it and it's not that not that fun um in terms of the work you're doing so when you get to the bigger frames and you get to the bigger tires all of a sudden i'm like oh okay i'm not i'm not having a poor riding experience i feel like i can do more and and honestly you know guys of my size when we are trying to do this cardio you know full body you know locomotion we tend to gravitate towards rowing because, right. you know, when, when you're rowing, you know, you can get in the right ergonomic positions and it feels good for you, you know, yeah. and, you know, running, not going to be our jam, biking, close, second in hatred, unless you can find one of these proportional bikes. And, right. you know, but I think the other thing, too, that's that's different about this is there's certain cultures that we're adopting as reaction to COVID that are here to stay. And I think that this, this um, using, you know, these types of transportations more um, is, is definitely part of it, both, both for the, the green aspects we talked about earlier, but the, the greater access to, to healthier outdoor activities. I agree. Yeah. And yeah. I think, uh, uh, and the great thing is that, with this COVID, uh, you know, as, uh, with all the bad things it brought along, the good thing it brought along is that it's getting a lot more people outdoors because they're bored out of their minds indoors. <laughs> and, and, and everything. Get outdoor, it's like this outdoor bug hits you. You know, you're like, yeah. man, this is, I miss all of this stuff all my life. Like, there's the air. Hell, you know? There's <laughs> air and things. I mean, 
I'm your case study. I, I swear, yeah. you know, so it, it's about a two mile ride to um, my gym from my house. But yeah. I noticed that, like, hey, you know, there was a couple like healthier spots to eat that had outdoor spots that if I just go like three more miles in a different direction from the gym, I can go hit that. And yeah. the amount of things that just driving by I never realized were there. That now I'm like, oh man, like this little this little record shop's here, and I look at this. Well, you know, the, the, the biggest <laughs> thing that I found is that when I this is like years ago, you know, about seven years ago when I got my first e-bike when I first built it, I used to take these these like you know because on Google Maps you could put it to cycling and it takes you to a completely different route than, than yeah. you would drive normally. And then I realized, like, man, I can get to like places way faster on my bike in the scenic yeah. route. And whereas I have to sit on that bridge over there, especially here in Saskatoon, you know, we have, we're called the city of bridges. We have a bunch right. of bridges around here. Uh, our downtown is, uh, is kind of like, uh, you have to cross the river to get to downtown and then cross the river to get, get outside of downtown. Uh, so there's like a bunch of bridges, but usually during, during like uh, rush hour traffic, we don't have that big of a traffic rush, but it's still like enough to annoy you, uh, that, that, you know, if you're there in the rush hour going in the wrong direction, you're sitting there at, at light. And, on a bike, I realized that I never had to do that because under these bridges, they have these they have these hanging bridges just for pedestrians and bikes, yeah. and no traffic whatsoever. You never stop; you're just yeah. moving, you know. So that, that's that's another thing that people it, get yeah. to do. Uh, another another tangent from Uncle Sean here, crowdfunders. Um, Canada knows what it's doing. America, can we please focus more on Canada? <laughs> like. <laughs> I mean, when when I lived in Montreal, many you know in the '90s, Interact was how we paid for everything. You know, this yeah. is smartphones. Internet was barely a thing, right? But we have Interact. We still can't figure out the stupid chip on the debit card thing here. And you know, yeah. I'm sitting. Uh, you know, I'm listening to bare naked ladies walking around in baggy clothes and yeah. you know, goofy colored shirts with my Oakleys, and you know, living a cash free lifestyle in the 90s in Montreal. So let's figure this out, everybody. Let's, let's. That always gets me. When when I travel to the States, yeah. so I pull out my card, I go tap, and nothing happens. I'm like, yeah. oh, damn it. And then I go chip, and nothing happens. And then they have to swipe it, and I got to sign it. And then, like, you know, they ask me for a zip code, so I got to put in my... And so in, in Canada, we don't have five digits, uh, five numbered yeah. numeric zip code. You know, it's like alpha and numeric. So, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, so now, but the Canadian banks have figured it out that, okay, well, if you got to go to the U.S., just use the numbers from the, the six, six alphanumeric and then add a couple of zeros to the end of it and yeah. boom, it works. So now I got to like, you know, do that. Or the worst annoyance was actually my wife and I drove, uh, we, we took our fifth wheel from here and drove down from Saskatoon to Vegas and then from Vegas to Florida and then up north from Florida, you know, to Boston, Chicago. Oh, you're and, and back crazy talk. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so when we did that, the most annoying part was filling gas. Like, yeah. you know, I had to like stop there, go inside, tell them, hey, here, can you authorize like a hundred bucks? Okay, yeah. sure. Then come back over here, fill gas, and then go back in there with the receipt. And then like, whereas compared this to Canada, is like, you can go yeah. here, go to, the, go to your and, gas station. And fill the, up. The, App done. And the worst part about American gas stations, there's no arrow bars to be found anywhere. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, that, that, I need my arrow. I need my arrow. What's going on? <laughs> All right. Enough, enough bagging on the U.S. from Canada lovers. But, but I love the U.S. But, but, but yeah, yeah, but, but we love the U.S. We're good. 
we're a dumpster <laughs> fire, but we're good. No, um, no, seriously, like interact, Google it, look it up. In the nineties, we had this figured out. We still can't figure it out right now. All right, so let's let let's let's put our our entrepreneur hats back on. What what does the next two or three years look like for you after this campaign? Yeah, you know, uh, the primary reason we're doing this campaign, like I said, is to launch this new line of bikes. And the secondary reason is for us, we've got about four foot of snow outside, you know, and uh, selling bikes in four foot of snow. There's actually surprisingly a number of new cyclists on the on the street right now in Saskatchewan, even in the cold and even in the snow. They, they love it. It's a lot of fun. Uh, but that said, we can't sell a ton of bikes. Uh, still in the winter in the winter so this crowdfunding campaign is also an opportunity to to get our eyes more eyeballs from like the rest of the parts of north america where there is no snow uh, where the weather is always perfect and uh and and that's what the result and with this growing uh you know people getting uh a bug of being outdoors on a bike i think it's going to be a habit that sticks so this yeah. is not a fad that's going to go away. Uh, they're going to, it's, it's going to be, be a habit. Like, you know, you start going out every day or every two days, then it becomes a habit. It becomes a part of you. And you're like, well, I got to go right now. And I think more and more of that is going to happen in the next couple of years. So totally. we're, I'm thinking that next year is actually going to be insane for the bike world in general, because all the people who couldn't get bikes this year uh, in the riding season are going to be in the market to go look for bikes next year. But the supply of raw materials in countries like Taiwan and China and South Korea, they're all really bottlenecked because of the shutdowns that those guys faced, which were like way more intense than what we yeah. had here in North America. Uh, so like in, in Taiwan and China were completely shut down, like with no activities uh, happening for like a few months, you know? So, so that is going to have a ripple effect on the, the supply of, of all of these goods, which is why next year is going to be an interesting year. Uh, but, but, you know, if you have bikes, you're going to sell. And if you don't have bikes, well, too bad, you know. How are you addressing the company to handle the scale? You know, because th this camp, you know, let, let's talk about units, right? Yeah. At, at 800,000, we're, we're just shy of 400 units here, right? And, and I, I got to imagine that your predictions are going to be correct. If you were to do a subsequent product and another crowdfunding or, or however you chose to execute this, you know, the idea of touching 1,000 to 2,000 units is well within reason yeah. how how are you preparing to to deliver that many units well uh, the good thing about our company is that we grew slowly but surely over the past seven years so we've been you know doubling every year uh so we know what it takes to build two thousand bikes to four thousand bikes and four thousand to eight thousand you know so so we're uh, prepared for it uh, in terms of you know we've got really good partnerships and we've, we've actually booked the parts for most of these bikes even before we've sold them uh, with our with our suppliers because we know that hey it's not a question of whether we can sell them it's uh, the question is how soon can we sell them you know and right. uh, uh, and that's why like you know of course if you're sitting on four thousand bikes that we cannot do for too long nobody can do that because yeah. there's still a bunch of cash cash tied up and cash is always limiting uh, but we're prepared because we assemble these bikes here in, in Canada uh, that's one of the key uh, you know features for our bikes is that we get all the parts from from wherever they make them best. And then we assemble them here. So we actually have also work with a couple of factories in in, uh, in the U.S. We have a frame manufacturer in California and one in uh, uh, in Wisconsin that we're uh, working out, uh, working with. Uh, actually, Wyatt Wyatt Industries. Look up their bike company. Great great ba uh, bikes, custom made. Uh, you know, individual frames welded by American labor in Wisconsin, which is nice. just 
awesome, you know. So so we have lots of these suppliers, not just in Asia, but also strategically in in, in U.S. and uh, and other countries. So that's how we're able to, you know, think of the scale is because we've got all these uh, all the logistics part lined up uh, in the supply chain. So when when the demand is there, we can be yeah. sure to supply. So again, project creators, that's category number two that you got to have. Confidence and figure out right. So let, let's 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 dial into the big kahuna here. Let's talk about price point. You know, I, you know, we're talking on Black Friday in the U.S. today, and you're, I see you're running a Black Friday sale. So you know, the the 750 watt kind of the the entry point right now is at 1400 U.S. and right. you you range all the way up to your you know your your flagship model at about 3000 U.S. Um, how how do you fit? You know, knowing that all these solutions are killing, you know, the range of your competitors. How do you yeah. fit in the price point uh, of the market here? Uh, so Bikesworx, we've never actually touted ourselves as having the cheapest bikes. You know, we're, we're not uh, looking to make the cheapest bikes because when you make cheapest bikes, you get customers that are unhappy after right. they get the bike. And, and they're really unhappy because, you know, somebody put all of the money that they had to get this cheap bike and now the bike doesn't perform, and right. they don't have any way to fix it. And now they're super mad because you and, gave them a really. And no one's been able to fix it anyway. <laughs> so, In yeah. fact, bike shops don't want to touch them, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. because they're all made with cheap parts. Because the problem with bike shops doing it is that they look at it, they're like, "Well, it's going to cost you thirteen hundred bucks to fix it." And the customer is like, "Well, I paid six hundred bucks for this bike, like, you know." And, and so then that's why bike shops don't want to touch it. So right. what we did is with this with thirteen hundred dollars, that particular model is our first bike that's actually. The under the the fifteen or sixteen hundred dollar price point, it's actually our cheapest bike. But we've launched it because we want more people to experience what a quality bike you can get for fourteen hundred bucks. And fourteen hundred bucks yeah. for an e bike, if you compare the specs that's on that bike, it's unbelievable. Like yeah, you know, I mean, our, our, our I competitors are probably thinking like, oh, these guys are stupid idiots. They're going to go bankrupt next year. You know, like no, no, that's probably what they're thinking. No, I, I can't remember. You know, I don't remember the brand name that that the spike shop around the corner carries because again, they're sold out. Yeah. But um, you know, when I was pricing out a, a good fat tire e bike that nowhere close to the range and features you guys have, by the way. So yeah, um, you know, it was it was around eighteen hundred dollar to two thousand dollar adventure here, right? Right. And for a bike that has a range of maybe you know maximum twenty to thirty miles, you yeah. know. Um, when we're looking at you, I'm like, this, this seems to me to be very aggressive pricing, you know? It, it is actually very aggressive and we are only able to do this because it's a crowdfunding campaign. Uh, because, you know, we can say, okay, we've got 200 units. We've got thousand units of this bike sold. Let's go, you know, get that done. So that w- what we can do is we can, uh, we're, first of all, we're cutting out all the middlemen. So there's yeah. no, uh, you know, there's no whole Sorry, bike shop. <laughs> Sorry, yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, we actually we do pay bike shops a hundred bucks to assemble bikes for customers. Right. So, okay, uh, yeah. you know, if they want that, we do that uh, because we like the partnership that that our customers have with bike shops and yeah. uh, you know local support and all that stuff. So we want to keep them happy. Uh, but but from a consumer point of view, you know, we cut all the middlemen uh, while selling this bike. And the second thing we've done is. When we have to predict how many bikes we can sell and go place an order, I'm never going to say, okay, let's place an order for 2,000 bikes and hope for the best. 
Like that's right. never going to happen. You know, because that's a lot of money, and I don't have deep pockets. I'm right. uh, I'm actually a poor old immigrant guy that came to Saskatoon and just uh, settled here. And right now, I'm I'm, I'm doing okay, but uh, I'm not the richest in any way. You know, right. Like, uh, so so with the crowdfunding, the good thing is people are believing in our product and putting their money forward for us to make this a reality, right? So that's why uh, we're able to do this aggressive pricing on on crowdfunding because once we get that nailed, we can also like optimize for, okay, we go to FedEx and say, hey, FedEx, we, uh, usually when you go to FedEx and say, hey, I, I want to ship a package, what's the best price you can get me? They ask you, how many packages are you going to ship in a month? And then if you say 100 a month, 1200 a year, they give you some kind of a price. Right. But if you say, I have 3000 bikes I need to get out the door next month, then yeah. they give you a very different price. So we go to all of our you know, supply chain guys and say the exact same thing. We say, hey, we've got a thousand bikes to ship out in next month or thousand bikes to ship out in March or April. What is the best price you can get us? So that's how we're able to squeeze a little bit and optimize for the yeah. entire flow that we're able to sell these bikes at the best price possible. So when our customers, current customers come back to me and ask me, hey, if I don't do this in the crowdfunding, if I wait till it comes on your website, can I get the same deal? And then we say, well, probably not. Because first of all, we're backlogged. We're going to be shipping a bunch of bikes just to these guys who've already put their money and trusted us. So they're going to get first priority before we sell on our website. And then second is when we do sell on our website, yes, we can add on to this batch of 3,000 with like some more or you know whatever the number is with some more bikes. But it's never as good as going and saying, I want this bulk number of bikes. You know? Totally. Uh, so that's why, like, uh, yeah, that's why the price point we don't, we're not the cheapest, but we, yeah. we fit somewhere in, the, in between. For and, and again, mar- marketing hat on, I almost wonder if you should be considering um, a go-to-market lifestyle of, hey, we, we have our new model year available on crowdfunding in the winter, and that's when you buy it, and then we deliver it over the summer, and if you want another one of our bikes, catch us in November. You know, like that, that could be a very, especially with, you know, the seasonality, you know, if you take on average, the climates in North America, you know, bike riding for, unless you're in Florida or the deep South, you know, March to, to early November tops. And that's your window. Right. So. Yeah. Um, this is great. You know, normally we talk about ads that, um, you know, how they perform and whatnot, but I think you guys are a bit of an outlier for what we discussed with the COVID conditions and whatnot, but let's just rest assured, um, audience, they're running ads. They're yeah. cool. They look great. Yeah. <laughs> they hit all the marks. I think, uh, you know, uh, usually this is the thing that you have to think in your mind, right? Like for, for a company is that how can I sustain running ads when sales slow down? But the, but the key thing to keep in mind and t- that you need to tell yourself is, Slow sales will not improve if you don't run ads. Right. <laughs> you know, it's 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 like a chicken and egg problem, uh, but it's it's kind of a, a, a that dilemma where it's like, well, if I don't spend the money on ads, I don't get sales. But 100%. I'm not getting sales, so how do I spend money on ads? And I think the other thing, you know, you know, I, I have a background at Apple, right? And, and we used to talk about this all the time: is the reason to buy. You know, you you have to think about this like kind of sales agriculture where, all right, I'm running ads and I'm getting a message across that's creating desirability for my product in a customer's brain, right? Yeah. But the more 
the more of a utility and a premium your product is, like a MacBook Pro, for example, or an e-bike, is it's not going to be an impulse purchase. Oh, the new MacBook Pro is out. Great. Swap out my MacBook Pro. You know, at that price point in that purpose, your customer is going to be thinking, okay, great. I, I totally want the new, the new juggernaut, but I'm not going to buy it now because I'm not going to need it or ride it or, or the life cycle of my current bike isn't going to end until XYZ date. Right. But that, that could be like a seven month span where that customer is thinking about, Oh, this is what I want. Great seed planted. I'm going to execute down the road. If you're not running ads at a, at a, in a certain tempo and clip and changing up your content and making sure that messaging is, is hitting, you're not going to have any agriculture sale. You're only going to be, you know, relying on this, this impulse buy, which, you know, if you're doing an iPhone case or a food product or whatever, that may be all you need to worry about, you know, but the, the more involved your product is, the longer the tail you have to think about of your marketing presence and that, that mind share you have in the customer. So. Exactly. And, you know, as you like, we're competing for that, that customer that wants a really premium product, right? And, and bikes are really, especially difficult on selling online, just like selling shoes or any apparel, yeah. because you don't know if it'll fit. Uh, you know, you don't know if you like the, the touch and feel of the, of the thing that you're, they're buying. But the biggest difference between a bike and, uh, like an apparel is that the shipping expense kills it. You know, like for yeah. us to ship a bike, to and fro, it costs like, you know, 30 times what it costs to ship an envelope, for yeah. example. Plus, in the shipping, what if, you know, the return bike is coming back and uh, got some damages on it and now we can't sell the bike, you know? Like, uh, for us, we've been fortunate that we've been very careful with the way we pack our bikes and ship our products and then describe the products online. We, we have video calls with customers showing them bikes. Yeah. A lot of times, customers tell us, hey, I'm five foot eight. I have a 30-inch inseam. Will this bike fit me? We try to go and find a person that anatomically fits that person's description, huh. put them on a bike, take a picture, and send them pictures saying, this is how oh, you would probably great. look on the bike, you know, because we don't want returns. And, and for us, we've been fortunate that our return rate is so small. It's like I can count it on, in my, both my hands for all the returns we've got in the past, like, seven years. That's, you know, like that's the, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you do a, the percentage, it's like 0. 0.00, whatever, 1% or something as returns. The, and the point of that is that we, you need to be transparent. You need to be really honest with your description. Like, like, you know, we launched a cheap bike uh, earlier this year for 1300 bucks on our website. Uh, actually, it was 999 US where we could ship it called the Swift Lite. And that was our first entry level bike. And we didn't want to, up, you know, say that, oh, this is the greatest bike you can get for like unlimited range and like insane. No, that's all we said. If you go to our description, you'll see that it says this is the entry level bike. You know, this is the, the, the base bike you can get. But for what it is, Nine ninety nine is a great deal. It's a great way to get into biking by getting this basic bike. Right. But will a four four hundred pound person fit it? Probably not recommended because it'll yeah. break apart. You know. So, yeah. so being honest in your description and and that stuff is super important because otherwise it'll come and bite you in the ass. Later uh, on. The other thing I like about that, you know, this is like the the buyer confidence, you know, cat- yeah. category number two again in, in what makes crowdfunding magic is you are right up front with, hey, look, here's our two warranties. We have a lifetime warranty on the frame, and we have a one-year warranty on the electronics and components. And your, your, your first column as I'm looking at this, you know, you know, on the Indiegogo, you have the phase you're in. 
But the very first thing is like, okay, here's our warranty statement. Here's our guaranteed delivery that you are going to get your product when we say you're going to get it. And here's our support. We have a support infrastructure. You know, it's not just um, when, when the founder can think about responding to your email, you know. So, like, the confidence that that this is a, a fully functional company who's thinking about the customer experience, not just thinking about, can I get a product to sell, you yeah. know. Um, that's huge in the strategy of this. So Yeah, and, and, and we obsess over this, right? Like I said, we obsess over our customers. We obsess over making them happy. If you On Facebook, if you look up Bike Tricks Owners Group, we have like 4,000 members over there. And usually when, when some new guy, like all of them are not customers, but a lot of them are our customers. So when the new people come there and say, hey, I'd like to do this, or I'm having this issue, or how do I trust this company? You'd see that our customers go and vouch for us because... Because of yep. the amazing, uh, you know, uh, experience we've created for them and the support that, that they've given them. Okay, that, that's what I want to come back to. This is great you brought this up because I, I almost forgot about this. So that, when we talk about what are the components you need to be successful yeah. in a reward-based crowdfunding, you are touching on the fourth component that really makes you a great candidate for equity crowdfunding. Of like, hey, look, you know, if you're if you're – bumping against these cash flow and, you know, I need X amount of capital to scale. When you have that loyal of a customer base, you know, the odds that, Hey, not only would they invest in you to buy another bike, but invest in you to help you scale because they believe so much in it. You're in a really nice position to be able to, to take advantage of an equity campaign should you choose to. So yeah. file that away for a future podcast. All right. So we've been going long, but I think this has been a valuable conversation as catharsis <laughs> during a crisis. But Ali is a, an entrepreneur. One of the things I like to do is um, Fuzzy, who I'm sitting in for, um, likes to have his five questions to follow up. I, I've got my own five questions here. Just kind of uh, um, get a sense of, of you at the end of the podcast here. So what, what's the best thing you've seen um, on TV or music or whatnot during the, the COVID crisis? Huh. Uh, I think uh, there was a part where I, I follow a lot of news in countries like India that happens, uh, you know, and in India, they were trying to push uh, for washing your hands often. So there was a video that uh, the police department of a, uh, a city in India rolled out on, uh, on Facebook where they did a dance. But I've with, like, seen this. Yes. <laughs> with like washing your hands dance. Yeah. Uh, it was super goofy but really fun and really drove the message home, you know? Oh. And I thought that was such a good win. They didn't do it for money, but they did it for a great cause. And I think uh, that's the one thing that, oh, in, in all of this pandemic, that's the one thing that stuck in my mind. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Um, I, I have a good friend who, who's a, a brilliant marketer uh, here in Detroit. He owns a bus yeah. company. He's, he's the chief marketing officer for Basecamp. And, and they just launched something called the dumpster fire oh, yeah. and uh, you can email it's all over Reddit and FARC and everything right now, Gizmodo, but you, you send an email to dumpsterfire at hay.com. And what he's created outside of his shop is imagine a shipping container that has a dumpster on fire in it with a TV mounted to the front. That's playing like very serene kind of calming video loops. And there's a print printer connected to a uh, conveyor belt that when you send the email, 
it prints off your email, takes it up the conveyor belt. It's all streamed live with video cameras so you can see your email. And then it yeah. takes your email and drops in the dumpster fire so you can kind of unload <laughs> all these <laughs> negative energy, negative thoughts. That and yeah, he just launched it two days ago. We've been hanging out over there. It's like the dumpster fire is the best thing ever. Um, but uh, yeah, like the the people are, you know, it started off like obviously a lot of Trump and COVID and stuff, right? But now you're seeing like, you know, we just saw one go through where uh, a kid had come out to his parents over Thanksgiving and they kind of disowned him. And he just really, you know, put all of his thoughts on paper to his parents about how disappointed he was in them. You know, but he feels great about his true self, and that rolls in the dumpster fire. We're all like, "This is so so great," you know. But yeah, so just Google dumpster fire at hey dot com, or email dumpster fire at hey dot com, and you'll see what I'm talking about. It's great. So what 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 shows are you streaming right now? What 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 are you watch or do you watch TV? What's what's going on there? I actually do the recent uh, show that I did watch. Uh, so I do like shows a lot. I just don't have the time to watch it. So usually in the middle of the night, uh, I sneak up for an hour or so and when, when our little toddler is sleeping and, uh, and sneak some shows in there. I, I watch The Queen's Gambit. Uh, it is an excellent show. Yes. I think. Uh, um, like I'm, I'm not a big, big chess player, but I used to play chess a little bit. Uh, and that, but that show incredible yeah uh, i'm I'm getting ready to start that That, that's 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 on my agenda here Uh, awesome um what music are you listening to uh i actually like uh classic rock so uh sorry uh the latest stuff uh, i'm not uh, not that big of a fan of it so so i'm mostly just listening to 70s and 80s okay let me plant a modern seed for a detroit band called greta van fleet they're okay. they're all about eleven years old. It seems okay. <laughs> you know they're, they're they're all like in their early twenties, but they're basically like a Led Zeppelin carbon copy. So, oh, that'd be awesome! Yeah, yeah check oh, it out, Gre- awesome. Greta Van Fleet. Easy to find. Yeah, they won a Grammy yeah. last year. They won a Grammy. Um, so, all right. Uh, so, what are you eating these days? How are you approaching health during COVID? Um, my wife is an excellent cook. And, uh, you know, we actually met back in high school uh, in India, and then I got married to her five years ago, and we're here together now. She cooks excellent Indian food, uh, but we try to, Indian food in general is a lot of carbs. Yeah. So, uh, but she knows that I like a lot of protein uh, and a lot of fat. So uh, we make Indian food that's high in protein, fat, and fiber, and less on carbs. So uh, that's pretty much what I eat uh, most of the time. But I, 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 I'm actually not not that big of a stickler for different diets. I just uh, just don't go overboard on 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 the bad stuff. You know, I don't go overboard. I don't eat like uh, a, a ton of donuts every day, or I don't do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, miss day. I miss donuts. Yeah, uh. <laughs> I, I used to eat a lot. Like you know those jars of condensed milk. Oh yeah, yeah. I used to drink the jar. Like I used to just drink it. Like, Ooh. I just love it. It's so sweet. I love it. Let's just drink it. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So, so sweet tooth. I have lots of them. Oh, uh, but, yeah. Uh, we just discussed Aerobar. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But now I know better. So, uh, uh, you know, I try to, uh, uh, if you haven't tried this, my new new favorite is, I don't know if you guys have Fat Burger in the U.S. Uh, yeah, yeah, the other one. Yeah. yeah, so so if you go to Fat Burger, get the loaded burger with with the lettuce wrap instead of the bun, uh, and uh, no dressing except mustard and that's uh, the key. Uh, yep. uh, uh, mustard, avocado, and an egg on top. That burger is epic. Yes, like yes. 
I'm a big Definitely. fan of the egg on top. Um, all right, la- last little bit. This we're going to get to the, the inspirational piece. So, what what big life lesson have you learned during the shutdown? The biggest thing I've uh, I've seen and I've learned is that a lot of people start panicking when they see some stuff happening. They go like, "Oh, they start overthinking." You know, they're like, "Oh, this fails. Oh, I can't pay my bills. I can't do this." Blah, blah, blah. But what I find works best is when you come into that situation, I like to address it head on. So the way I handle it is I take a piece of paper and write down all the worst things that are coming to my head. You know, one, missed mortgage payment. Two, lost my job. Three, EI payments don't come in from the government. Like, write all possible things, right? right? You write it down on a piece of paper and then you realize that, man, I can't actually fill up this whole piece of paper because... I only have these many problems. And then you start looking at each of those things and think like, actually, these are not that big of a deal because the possibilities are pretty slim that these would happen. And if it does happen, these are my backup plans. So I kind of like, you know, attack it in in a way that when I look at it, then I'm like, well, there's only really three of these problems I need to solve. And and really, there's only three of these I can control. Like the rest of it are not under my control. So then I start, start thinking like, well, there's no point of, stressing about things you cannot control, you know, and uh, because that would not change the end result. That just uh, increases stress on you. So I just like, you know, go off that list, think of what are the things that I can control, whatever else I cannot control. Like I, for example, would say, you know what, I've done my best. I'll just let, the, you know, God do the rest or I'll just leave the rest to nature or whatever it is. It'll play right. out. And these are the things I can control and that's what I'm going to focus my energy on. And that way I find that you end up being not depressed and not sad and not uh, overthinking things. Rather, you end up doing things that are that are making things better. All of the things that you know worry you, kind of thing. Absolutely. So, so the writing out of the fears is the catharsis, right? Yeah. And then, I, and- writing down has always uh, helped me. Like I, I always uh, did this. Like back in school, since I was an international student here in Saskatchewan, uh, we pay a ton of tuition fees. You know, like mm-hmm. I think my my engineering degree was a hundred thousand uh, dollars. And uh, my mom and dad, and uh, you know, bless them, they're they're awesome. They they did everything they can to send me over here. And uh, but they they couldn't pay for more than one semester of my fees, and I have like eight semesters com- uh, complete. So I earned all my tuition fees myself through school while working and while doing all these things. So I had to find my own battles and writing down definitely helped. So I had a chip in my pocket at all given times that said how much money I would need in the bank by end of the summer so I can sustain and live for the next year during school. And it turns out that every summer, end of summer, when I took that shit out and looked and compared it with my bank account, it always lined up. Like, it, I, I yeah. don't know, like... Lots of people have different words for these things. They say like, oh, it doesn't work. Or, or some people say it's like, you know, law of attraction or law of whatever law it is. But I know that this works and this, uh, we, I actually have a chip that, that, that uh, you know, says how much money we're going to make on this crowdfunding campaign. And I think we're trending towards that. So I won't tell them that. Yeah. Is, uh, Love that. Important. So there, there's a uh, file this under one of the greatest things I've seen is uh, t- exactly the method you're talking about. Um, Jack Conti, the uh, founder of Patreon and and one half of the band Pomplamoose and Scary Pockets, has his own YouTube channel called Jack Conti Extras. And uh, I highly recommend two things everyone go look at. You know, look at his his video on how he deals with failure. 
but but your exact point is he has a video of how to be successful and it's exact the process you just laid out is exactly what he talks about is is methodologies of writing things out and setting goals and and expressing fears and how to deal with them and, and what you can do now because of my buddy Andy with those fears is email them to dumpsterfire at hey.com. (laughs) (laughs) Boom, watch them go to flames. Well, this has been one of my favorite interviews, i got to be honest. Um, Roshan, this is, uh, you've got magic here. I don't like to say unicorn or whatever because you've earned this, right? But you've, you've done everything that a project creator can do to prepare themselves for success. And I'm super happy that you're having success with it. And, um, you know, I have every confidence in the world that if we were to check back with you in a couple of years and you pull out your little sheet, it's going to match. <laughs> it's going to match. Well, you know, <laughs> thank you so much for, uh, for this podcast and thanks yeah. for doing this. And, uh, you know, like I, I'm, I'm very open and transparent, which can sometimes come bite me in the ass because I talk too much about things that I shouldn't be talking about. <laughs> but you know what? I, I only intend the good for people. You know, if, if whatever I say help people, then why not? You know, like go, go for it. And if that, that means that I might lose a little bit of sales, like, man, that's okay too. You I, know, cause, I don't think you're oh, going to lose it. I think transparency <laughs> is the, the new black and that's well, what people like. <laughs> that that pe- a lot of people don't realize. Like previously I used to get like mad when, when somebody in my town goes and buys another e-bike from some company in like, I don't know, Vegas, you know, and right. then, and then they ship it over here and I look at them, man, why'd you buy that? Why'd you just come and buy it from me? You know, but the fact is, that you would never think of that if if you come across if you realize the fact that I could never possibly sell to every person in North America. No. Ever. You know? I could I could never sell something to everybody ever. So so the ocean is very big with lots of fish out there and uh, everybody's gotta eat. So yeah. you, you eat what you can and uh, let let the rest be well, for others. You know? and then what you can do with your new line of bikes is when they're on the trail and they run out of battery, <laughs> yeah. you zoom past them going out and then heading back in. Um, yeah, I'm a, I rope. I'll, yeah, I'll just yeah. Give them a- yeah, a little opportunity to upsell maybe. Get, get one of your bikes <laughs> next time. <laughs> All right, Russian. Thank you so much. This has been an awesome, awesome interview and good luck to everything in the future. People, Check it out. As of taping today, there are about 14 days left. Um, the the Bytrix Juggernaut HD Duo over on Indiegogo. It's killing it. Get your order in. Trust me, man. This is the best bike and the best price you're going you're gonna to find. And if you're a project creator, study this campaign. This is how you do it. All right. If you have any questions, feel free to email me. I'm just uh, Roshan at bikefreaks.com. I actually look through all of my emails. I only reply to a lot, uh, some of them, but I do <laughs> all of them. So if, you catch, if your email catches my attention, you will hear back from me. Fantastic. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for being a guest. Thanks again. Yeah, all right. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Roshan over at Bytrix. Um, I know I did. That was a great, just great conversation. So, one last time, if you're a project creator, if you're thinking about bringing a campaign to life, go over to woodshed.agency, sign up for that free 20-minute consultation with Mr. Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel or myself, and uh, let's help you get across that finish line with that campaign. Otherwise, uh, happy holidays, everybody. Until the next time I'm sitting in and talking to you, you guys, uh, you guys have a good one. Can you help me with that party on the dance floor? 
Oh, could you help me? Could you help me? Yeah. If you could, could you show me? Could you put that thing up on me? Let's get freaky. Please, baby, teach me. Don't want to let you off my side. I couldn't bear to watch you late tonight. I'll take a chance to rock with you all night. Oh, baby, don't let me down. I'll do it right and take it nice and slow. The jungle beat will pick it up and go. I want to take you miles away from home. Oh, come on, oh, come on, oh, come on, oh, come on. Can you give it to me? 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 Let us sing, let us rise, don't let this moment pass us by. I know I want you want it all night long. Let us sing, let us rise, don't let this moment pass us by. So fine, that's how I like it That's how I like it I take my hand before it's too late But I'm on side side And it won't make me keep it going My side of slippery We feel like glasses with champagne With the windows down, we can't complain You can call this love with love's envy Go and go and watch you real Can you give it to me? 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 Let us sing, let us rise, don't let this moment pass us by. I know I want you want it all night long. Let us sing, let us rise, don't let this moment pass us by. I feel this party's good enough. Give it to me, baby.